Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hello, everyone. Hope you're having a great week. This is Mickey. You are listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I am speaking to functional medicine doctor. Joe Mather, who is also the lead physician at the Ruscio Clinic. So anyone who is sort of entrenched in this functional medicine space, uh, who come at this from a sort of more ancestral lifestyle approach, will probably be really familiar with Dr. Michael Ruscio. And Joe has learned from the best with regards to the importance of gut health in overall health and well-being. And so we talk about how he uses diet and lifestyle to help improve these things for his clients. We also dive into the functional medicine tests that we should explore and the ones that we shouldn't waste our money on. And there are so many out there now, it's really easy to understand or know even what is worthwhile and what is not. So we talk about the importance of gut health on overall health and well-being and what to look for in a probiotic as well. We discuss some other helpful supplements that Joe uses to get the best results for his patients and the protocols that they use in clinic. There are a lot of practical tips with this one, so hopefully you enjoy that. So Joe Mather, he is a board certified family practice physician who practices functional medicine in New Orleans, Los Angeles. Now, in fact, he was in New Zealand for a couple of years doing some of his postgraduate clinical work. Uh, so we have a good old talk about that. He graduated from Tulane University School of Medicine and School of Public Health in 2011 and completed his residency in 2014. In his medical practice, he focuses on delivering cost-effective and practical medical care with a focus on GI health. And this is one thing which I love about the Ruscio method is that it's not complicated. It doesn't require you to go through some rigorous elimination that is impractical for your life. Like they really take a low-hanging fruit approach, which is, as Joe describes, largely successful for many of the people that he talks to. He spends a lot of his time working with clients suffering from complex diseases and helping patients to optimize their longevity. And when he is not working with patients, you will find him chasing his three small children, exercising or meditating. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation that I have with Joe. And just before we kick off, can I remind you please that the best way to support the podcast is to click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast platform and then share with your mates as this way we get all of this information that my guests bring on to the podcast we get it out there to the people who really value and need it so that is one of the best things about a, about a podcast it's free would love to share it wide and far and also one last thing is that Mondays Matter my eight-week fat loss program membership for this round which begins Monday 2nd of May which is next Monday membership closes this Thursday evening so if you are wanting a different approach to your fat loss journey absolutely follow the links in the show notes to sign up to Monday's Matter it is an awesome program and really looking forward to that kicking off all right team please enjoy the conversation that I have with Dr. Joe Matter 
Dr. Joe Matha, thank you so much for being here with me today and taking some time to talk to me about some of the things which I get asked about a lot, both from clients and also just on the on the gram, in and around gut health, probiotics, what we can do, but also where do we get most bang for our buck with regards to testing and and also understanding the results of those tests. So I know you're a bit of a guru. Can you sort of kick us off by telling us a little bit about where you are, what you do, and sort of yeah, how you advise people? Yeah, absolutely. I'm the medical director of the Ruscio Institute for Functional Medicine, which is a functional medicine outfit here in the States. We take patients worldwide. And our our, our mission is really to simplify functional medicine because we see so many patients come in and, and they've failed other approaches. They've been through a half dozen doctors. They've spent thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars on tests and supplements, and they're not better. So we are constantly trying to parse the science and simplify functional medicine so that we can simply just get people better as quickly as possible. I think people are, are getting sicker than they used to be. Yeah. And so it just takes a, takes a lot of work to do that. and. We just love watching people thrive. We, we pay a lot of attention to gut health. Yep. And uh, hopefully we can talk all things gut here today. Yeah. No, that sounds, that sounds great. And I've been a follower of Dr. Michael Ruscio over here in New Zealand through his podcast and, and all of his written work for a number of years. I think he's sort of, he's been in the realm of with Chris Kresser and, and all of those others who yeah, help yeah. demystify a lot of the, the issues that people have with their gut. Because I think you've really sort of hit the nail on the head in that that people can spend thousands of dollars and go through really quite complicated regimes with regards to trying to get to the bottom of things where but still not really see any resolution and and that's an issue. And that also, of course, speaks to how useful or otherwise some of these tests are that are now available for us in helping sort of elucidate. So I, I love the fact that your institute demystifies and simplifies things for a lot of people. That's certainly the message that I've had over the last few years. Yeah, I, I was looking at, at your guest list and, and I just wanted to applaud you for, for bringing on a bunch of people who I think achieve that mission. Um, so I'm excited to talk. Oh, awesome. Can we start with, let's start with some of those considerations around testing. So they're becoming increasingly available for uh, both practitioners and consumers. And I know that it will be different here in New Zealand um, versus the States. But just so you know, and I know you've spent some time in New Zealand. Um, I do. I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> Even Wanganui. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, I, I lived in, in New Zealand for a year in Wanganui. Yeah, yep. which is beautiful. The Wanganui River. I loved it. Yeah. So um loved it, loved it. Um so here in New Zealand we don't like our general practitioners don't really seem to know that of the access to a lot of the tests which people like me as nutritionists and dietitians and chiropractors can actually order on behalf of their clients. And and we're talking about um stool analysis, uh, organic acid tests and um, Dutch tests and, and a whole host of things which um, are just much more than your simple go to your doctor and get your bloods run. And I'm sure that there, there must be some which are really beneficial and allow us to understand more what's going on sort of under the hood. But 
on the other on the flip side, you can spend a lot of money. So, Joe, what are some of the things we need to think about with the, these functional tests? I think to start, it, it's so appealing when you're sick to think that if you just get the right tests, you can find in black and white on a printed paper where to go next. Mm. And I think that's why they've become so popular is people are really struggling, they're sicker, and they're just desperate for answers. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of functional medicine physicians have been misled by some of these testing operations Mm -hmm. through marketing and uh, their education, I think, is lacking to where they they think that a lot of these tests are more accurate than they are. Mm. And so one example of a pitfall we, we see is stool testing is not all created equal. Mm. And there's a big push towards analyzing the microbiome. If we take a detailed look at what bacteria are present in, in someone's stool sample, can we make a, a clinical decision? And so you see people doing these tests and then practitioners saying, ah, you have to take oil of oregano to kill off the bacteria, or we need to micromanage the probiotics, or you need to eat this diet. And what we learned as we poked around in this area is that some of these tests are fraudulent. Mm. They're not validated. And there was a test called U-Biome, which was very possible, uh, popular for a while. They were actually using dog stool as their reference. It, it's absolutely shocking wow. when, you, when you poke around a little bit. And so people are spending hundreds of dollars to poop in a cup. Yeah. And then they're comparing it to dog poop and then Mate. wondering why they're not feeling better when they follow the supplement recommendation. So we just need to be very careful about what tests we're using and you look for a practitioner that's going the extra mile and thinking critically about it. So there are a number of tests that I have concerns with. There, there are tests I think are, are great, but the big picture is people need to start understanding that you have to make sure the tests are validated, right? Yeah. And that they're going to give you a clinically actionable step to get better. Yeah. And so, I mean, you mentioned that with the stool test, that may or may not tell you something about your gut microbiome. Do any of the stool tests give up, give us that analysis or is it sort of telling us something else about, I don't know, another part of our body or, you know, much more down near the near sort of the bowel rather than up in the upper gut or, you know, yeah. what can we delineate from some of the better t- stool you tests if there are such a yeah test? Yeah, the, the, the two that we use most often, uh, one is the GI 360 yeah. and another is called GI map. The GI 360 in particular, we, we like because the researchers who have put this test together are from Norway and they've gone the extra step of validating the test, yeah. showing that it works in patients with irritable bowel, yeah. showing that it can predict uh, whether or not someone has it. And so their dysbiosis index, I think, has gone a, a step beyond most stool tests. Mm. You are absolutely right in that, that a stool test will just tell you information about the lower end of the GI mm. tract, about you know the poop in your colon. It does not tell you anything about the beginning yeah. of the large intestine. It doesn't tell you anything about your small intestine yeah. or about your stomach or esophagus. So it, it's just giving you one piece of information at one piece of time. Yeah. And the the truth is, is that if patients were to have unlimited Bill Gates money and they were just to do 
these stool tests maybe every day of the week, they would very likely get different results. Yeah. And so we need to be careful not to put too much stock in any one stool sample. If you had diarrhea yeah. versus a solid stool, you may get two very different results. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And and often I've I've seen as well research which shows how quickly the gut microbiome can change. Um and actually I don't even know how they might have tested that given just what you've just described. But you have also told me a couple of We see that. We see that all the yeah. time. Yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So so in that regards yeah. then, if you're given some sort of uh, recommendation to take this sort of bacteria because this is what your gut micro this is what your test is telling you, yet it's so variable to change, then it's not necessarily useful a useful recommendation, I suppose, like take this one probiotic or do this one sort of thing to help this one problem, which might not have been picked up tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, would, we would go one step farther. If, if you're, you're spending money on a stool test that may not be accurate, you've wasted the money, yeah. you've wasted the time. Mm. It usually takes a few weeks to bring the test back. And from our perspective, if you're focusing on the right diet, the right lifestyle, the right GI support, mm. In many cases, you've you've fixed the patient by the time they would have had a stool test yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Some some of these cases are, are are not hard. It just takes listening to the patient's symptoms. So we're trying to take the field of medicine back, of functional medicine, back to its roots, right? Which is just good medicine. How can you listen to the patient, yeah. listen to their symptoms, and make treatment decisions based on the patient in front of you? Functional medicine has gotten sidetracked by the flashy labs, yeah. right? The, the marketing claims. Um, and so I, just again, I, I think we need to go back to listening to the patient, which is just good medicine. Yeah, yeah no, that absolutely makes sense. And Joe, can I just sort of ask you with your experience, um, you've mentioned it a couple of times and that just people are getting sicker or people are sicker. So just... I'm just really interested in your opinion or your thoughts on why that's actually the case. Like, what is it that we are much more aware what healthy is, or and so therefore we, you know, you've got more people sort of turning up at your office going, "I'm not this picture of health which I now know that I could be," or is you know, what kind of sicker are you seeing? I'm seeing. So, so I, I'm thinking about this from a couple. Uh, avenues. Mm. The first is I, I've been practicing medicine for over a decade, and my just experience is seeing sicker patients walk into my yeah. door at a younger age yeah. than they did even a decade mm. ago. And when I asked my mentors, so Dr. Neil Nathan, uh, I think is the worldwide expert on mold toxicity. Mm. When I talked to Neil, he tells me that he's been doing this for, I think, four decades mm. now. He sees that that pattern, even even from a longer perspective, patients are sicker, and we can speculate why that is. I I think number one, food quality mm. is worse. Uh, number two, I think generally people are less active, mm. less physically mm. active. I think third, we live in a more polluted, toxic mm. world. There are more additives in food. There's mold in our buildings. There are contaminants, um, plastics everywhere. Yeah. We live in a very plastic industrial world. And, and I, I can't help but think that, that those environmental pressures are the main reason why people are yeah. sicker. And do you feel like there's a disconnect? And, this, and I know this is absolutely just your opinion and it's not um, 
necessarily reflective of, of all doctors or anything out there, but you know, how much synergy is there between functional medicine clinics like yours and your standard sort of clinic that someone might go to to chat to their doctor? Like the things that you've just mentioned in terms of why people are getting sicker aren't necessarily things that, in my experience, GPs have a lot of experience or knowledge on when they see the same sort of individual come into their office. I think here in the States, it's getting better. I think there's more openness to the importance of diet and lifestyle, gut health, toxins that, than there was 10 years ago. I, I mean, I'm family practice trained and, and I've done GP work in New yeah. Zealand. It, it, those guys are overwhelmed. They're overrun. Yeah. Uh, most of them are, are, are trying to manage more patients that, than they have the ability and you know, at least, least in Wanganui, it was difficult to get patients to follow yeah. up. So you'd have someone come in with diabetes or hypertension and you may see them once and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And, and so the, the GP are the unsung hero here most of the time that they, they really are, are, I think doing a good job in a broken system. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't really answer your question. No, no, I? but that's, but you know, you raise a really good point. Like when I speak to people who get angry at doctors for not understanding, for not knowing um, some of the stuff that you might have a, a better knowledge base on, um, I think what you say is exactly right is that, is that you don't learn this stuff through your training necessarily. So it, it's up no, to the, no. the, the individual to, one, become aware of it, two, be interested enough to sort of explore it, and then three, have the time to research it and be, then be able to sort of apply strategies, practically speaking, to actually help someone. And you're absolutely right. And then I think the most important piece is, is the last, is, is number four, right? Is, is your clinician looking at the claims in functional medicine somewhat skeptically, yeah. or are they going around with the fads? Are they dumping methylation support into everyone because they think it's a good yeah. idea? Is it just one diet fits all? They become uh, carnivore fanatics or ketogenic yeah. fanatics or everyone has to be whole food vegan or whatever it is. I, I see a lot of physicians kind of hit the first three, three steps and then they fall into some dogmatic thinking uh, and become zealots for a cause rather than think critically about what is wrong with this yeah, patient yeah. and how can we yeah, fix yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Joe, sort of tangented off there, but I'll bring it back around to testing. Do you ever use organic acid tests? I do, rarely. Maybe okay. one out of every 20 patients and I like the microbial organic acid test, which you can get from the Great Plains Laboratory. And I, I'm, I'm observing if I, if I think this is a, a good enough test to use more mm -hmm. regularly. I don't find the expanded organic acid testing to be helpful mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so I don't routinely order that. But in patients who I'm suspecting have candida or mold mm -hmm. growth in their gut, the microbial organic acid test, or the MOAT, can give you a few hints on that. But for general well-being or health or nutrition, I do not use it. Okay. I, I don't think that analyzing the, the ratios of, of you know, neurotransmitters in that is helpful. Um, everybody's always low in the amino acid section, and mm. I'm not convinced that the 
uh, toxic metabolites are accurate enough to help us decide. So usually that's, I'd like to save a couple hundred bucks for my patients and, and start to work on whatever clinical system I think is most broken with them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and, you know, an organic acids test measures those metabolites in urine of certain vitamins and minerals and yeah. neurotransmitters and, and potentially how we might metabolize um, uh, our macronutrients and, and things like that. Is there a lot of validation around those methods? Like if we look at the research, do we know that what we think we're looking at, is it actually what, you know, you're asking their what exact correct question. No, there is not. There is mm. one textbook by Lord and Brally. And Dr. Jeff Moss is, is a guy who I think knows just about as much about organic acids. And most of what he knows comes from that textbook, but there are not studies validating this. And it's important for people who are looking at organic acid tests to understand that you're not directly measuring vitamin C, you're measuring mm -hmm. a byproduct of a process that vitamin C may be involved with. And so it's not okay. as simple as, oh, this marker is low and so I should give it. Um, yeah. When I first started my training, I, I was, was talking to Dr. Moss about this and, and he told me a little anecdote of, of all the clinicians were, were trying to use the organic acids and then micromanage nutrients, glutathione or vitamin C or protein. Yes. And no one was getting better. And, and I think yeah. it goes to the fact that it's not as black and white concrete as people would like it to be. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think you're right in that you, you mentioned that functional medicine brings with it these bells and whistles, these um, tests that promise so much. Mm -hmm. And for someone who has been unwell for so long, I can see why. Because I have clients come to me and they're like, I think I just really need to test my gut microbiome. I need to do that stool analysis. And, yeah. you know, I know that there's this organic acids test that might really help me. And I'm like, Mickey, I, I, I'm really to order anything. I'll do anything you want to make me better. Please, anything. I th here are the five yeah. tests that I've been reading about. And all yeah. of a sudden, if, if you spend two grand on the testing, how are you going to pay for the gym membership? How are you going to buy healthy food? What about the probiotics that you actually need to fix the gut problem? All of a sudden you're, yeah, you're out yeah. of funds. And so yeah, there, there yeah. is a cost to testing, which, which may not be readily apparent to some, some people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally appreciate that. And so I'm, you know, and, and then even if you have the money to throw at testing, what you find isn't necessarily the problem. You might find something that you weren't even looking for, but it's actually not related to what the actual problem is sitting in front of you that, that, that the patient or the client is sort of dealing with. Is, and again, another thing sort of that in my experience. One of the, the, what comes to mind is I see a lot of patients come in and they're getting genetic testing and they're saying, Doc, yeah. my MTHFR, my methylation problem, or my COMT, these are genetic um, mutations of, of single, small, very parts uh, of the genome, and they're self-identifying with these genetic problems, but you're, you're looking at a patient with no clinical manifestation of this, but all of a sudden, yeah. they, they've taken into their, their body they, this feeling that they're inwardly broken genetically. And yeah. that can be very damaging. And mm. so we want to be careful that if we're using tests, we're, we're doing tests that are helping our patients and not making them feel sicker than when they started. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 
So, Dr. Joe, do you are there any tests that you might routinely do um, for your clients as you see them? Like, are there so what? Now you, I know you mentioned a couple of the um, the stool tests, which which you find helpful, like the mm-hmm. GI map and the three sixty. Anything else that you think? Actually, you know what? There is something to this test which which is going to be useful. I'll give you one that any GP throughout the world can order, and it's a ferritin level, which is the single oh, yeah. best marker for iron. I, I yeah. just can't tell you how many people come into my office and they've been through six practitioners, but nobody has actually checked their iron levels. Yeah, and, and a huge chunk of these people with chronic fatigue, anxiety, insomnia, restless leg are just iron deficient. And then yeah. we, we give them a simple iron supplement and then their ferritin bumps to 50 and they're much better. Um, that's an yeah, easy yeah. one. That's one that I order mm-hmm. all the time because of how many people are coming in with chronic fatigue and that can be ordered by any GP anywhere. Yeah, um, awesome. The, pro- the, the functional medicine test I use the most these days is actually a test for mold toxins in the urine from the real-time mm-hmm. lab uh, outfit. And yeah. this is because a- after doing this for 10 years and, and after learning from, from Michael Ruscio, all, all things gut health, most cases of uh, inflammatory bowel disease or SIBO, candida, IBS, we've got it pretty well figured out how to make those patients better pretty quickly. And so yeah. once you've sorted through those patients, you you can kind of predict, okay, this, this person may take four months, but they're, they're going to be all right. But then we say, okay, well, if they're 75% better at four months, what's that remaining 25%? And these days, I, I just see mold as that issue so often that is preventing people from getting all the way well, particularly in people who are having cognitive deficits, um, brain fog, chronic fatigue muscle yeah. pain. Um, yeah. and, and, and this may be my bias and that I was made sick by it. And, and I think some people come seek me out for, for help simply because they know I've been through that. Um, yeah. but the real time lab, um, urine test for, for mold toxin is, is the one, because if someone has mold toxicity, I think it's really important. We, we start to work on that yeah. right away, or at least pivot to it. If, if doing the basics hasn't helped. Okay. And then just on that, I mean, like if I think of mold toxicity, which, gosh, I mean, you've been in New Zealand, you know what the houses are like here. If you're not sort of in a new bit, like molders must be rife in almost, you know, 75% of the houses. How does someone work on that if moving out of their home isn't actually an option? Like, can you even? You can always improve the, Mm. particularly if you focus on the gut, particularly if you get other problems optimized as best you can. Many times the body will detoxify just fine if you just fix the right preconditions. So if, if you help someone clear out their SIBO and get them on the right diet, get them taking yeah. better care of themselves, maybe find sleep apnea that's preventing them from healing. You can pull yeah. enough levers that, that all of a sudden that, that mold exposure isn't enough to sink their ship, right? Yes. They, they might get their heads above water and then be able to slowly make progress. The, yeah. the patients that I see um, it, are, are, have been so chronically devastated that, that if they don't move, that they will never heal. So yeah. that, that is a reality for some patients. And this just depends. Mm-hmm. 
I think you need to work with a clinician who's experienced and has the judgment to say, hey, you've got a little exposure here, but I just don't think it's holding you back versus uh, you are so devastated from an immune function, from a limbic standpoint, that until you move, you're just going to go up and down, up yeah. and down, tread water. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, hard. It's very hard. But there, there are hard conversations sometimes when, when I think someone will not get better or if we've been working together for a series of months and they're just not improving. Sometimes yeah. I have to really just say, you know, Mickey, I don't think you're going to get better until you get out of that, that moldy home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's not so for everybody. Not everybody has mold, but it's just a yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, completely. Now, now you mentioned that you str- you struggled with mold toxicity, and yeah. um, and of course, I asked you sort of, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? But how did you get into functional medicine, Doctor Joe? So I, I got into it right, right at the tail end of my medical training because after three years of a, a formal conventional medical doctor residency, I realized my patients weren't getting better. So I I had Mm. taken care of a group of patients for three years in my family medicine clinic. And I was looking back at the charts and I was saying, this guy still has diabetes. He still has blood pressure Mm. problems. He's still out of weight. This guy's fatigued. And realizing Mm. that despite I was, I was giving them all of the diets that the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association was recommending. And I was really just making sure to, to, try to do a best a job as the, with the tools I had, no one was getting better. And I was like, what the heck? I became a doctor to fix people. And, and these people are yeah. still sick. I was like, I, yeah. I either suck as a doctor or I've been not using the right tools. And so mm. I, I thought I was a good doctor. And um, it, it turned out I, I just didn't have the right toolkit. Mm. Um, and so I started looking, listening to podcasts, reading books, and one of the people I found was, was Michael Ruscio. Mm. And I said, ah, this guy sounds like he knows what he's doing. And then I, and then I invaded. <laughs> and now I'm the medical director of his clinic. Yep. So, oh, so is that all you need to do? Invade. <laughs> exactly. and then you just got to find Dr. Ruscio and then harass him yep. until he teaches you everything he knows. Perfect. Um, who were your earlier, earlier sort of um, forays into this into this space? You mentioned that obviously, obviously, Doctor um, Ruscio, but who were other people that you were listening to Chris and, and continue to sort yeah. of? Listen to? I, I think yeah. you mentioned Chris Cresser. Um, yeah, definitely one of the good guys of the field. Uh, he put out yeah. a, a great training, and and I, I love the the focus on uh, ancestral health. I think that's a yeah. really smart way to approach a lot of cases, and yeah. particularly in functional medicine, when oftentimes you've got a really sick patient in front of you, and, and where to go next is not completely clear. It's not black and white. Mm. And whenever you have that kind of question, you could go one direction or the next, it's kind of a useful check to think, how did the body evolve? Yeah. Right? What probably is the primary operating system that we need to get moving here? And so yeah. Chris yeah. Cresser's work and taught me a lot yeah awesome and I love it how Chris talks about his sort of framework for understanding uh what works and he uses that scientific so you know you've got those randomized controlled trials and you've got preclinical trials mechanistic trials I mean that's that's one side of it and then you've got 
the evolutionary sort of understanding of where we've come from and how that can inform how we might move forward. But then, of course, you've got your patient, which is exactly aligned with what you're describing, Joe. like who's the person sitting in front of you and who are the people yeah. that have been before them and what do we know works, which you might not find in that research trial or might not necessarily be explained by sort of evolutionary yeah. processes or something. Like I just, that makes so much sense to me. The the randomized control trial is is unquestionably one of the the best advances in modern science but it, mm. the the strength of it is also its limitation right so yeah. it works because you can you can really understand does one variable make a difference what happens yeah. if you change one variable in yeah. this group of people and you can get an answer and yeah. that's critical to make progress you have to be able to check it but at the same time we don't have randomized control trials on how to treat mold patients yeah. It, it's unfortunate. We're just not there yet. So, so you have to use clinical judgment. And so that's where you need to start thinking, okay, who's done this before? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Right? How can I learn on, on what's needed or what's not needed? And the, the most important part there is, is really teaching your patients to do one thing at a time, mm -hmm. not starting a diet and starting a sleep apnea machine and taking mm -hmm. iron and starting triple probiotic therapy all at once and then saying, I'm better. And then you say, yeah. okay, great. I don't know why. <laughs> it yeah, could have been yeah, yeah. Any one of those things. You, you teach your patients to do things one at a time. Yeah. And then you listen. And yeah. early on in my career, I, I, when I had started my own private practice, it was just me. And so I could say, and they, they paid me a monthly fee, right? And so what I would do is they, they had paid me you know, 75 bucks for the month's care. And I'd say, okay, do this. And then email me in one week if it worked. Yeah, cool. And I would just do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's great. And so you, you, you learn from your patient's response what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Joe, can we sort of pivot a little bit? And actually, let's just talk about gut health. Because obviously, over the last few years, you, you know, it's really emerging that there's this real um, nexus between our gut and overall health, you know, and it's just so important. Is there anything that you think is driving the influx of gut-related issues? And I say that because it feels like so many more people are presenting with these issues now. And maybe it's just because they've realized that what they're experiencing their gut isn't actually normal to to what they've heard you know like maybe we're just much more aware that of what a healthy gut is so you can then figure out what's not healthy but or is there something else going on is it what you talked about before diet lifestyle mold like are all these things probably ending up in it, what we're seeing is an increased prevalence of gut issues i i think there are more problems with the gut now than there were 30 years ago. And I, I think the primary issue is processed food. Yeah, there okay. are more processed foods, more widely available. And those oftentimes are high calorie inexpensive foods. But yeah. these, I think, are the worst things to the gut. I think, I think they're just poisonous to the gut. And I think this is the, the biggest problem that's driving gut, gut health issues. Yeah. And oftentimes, if I get someone and I just simply pull out processed foods i see mm -hmm. their gut function immediately get better what is it about processed food that makes it so bad you know i i don't have a good way to answer that other than it seems to be the single most important thing it's not 
soy, it's not dairy, it's not gluten, mm. it's it's pre-packaged processed foods within a nutrition facts ingredient label. And yeah. I don't know if it's the additives they put to the food to, to make it yeah. shelf stable. I don't know if it's the fact that the processing takes out nutrients. Mm. I don't know if it's the fact that a lot of them, these processed foods are made from a lot of the gluten containing grains and the gluten grains yeah. themselves are full of uh, herbicides and pesticides. I don't know if people are eating less healthy food because they eat more processed food or, you know, they're yeah. not eating as much apples and carrots and celeries and onions, right? I, have, I don't know why, but clinically, if, if I just had one diet shift I could make with someone who was coming in, mm. that oftentimes is it. Yeah, yeah. How easy is it for your patients to do that? My, I'm lucky because my patients are very, very, very sick. And so yeah. by the time they come to see me, they will do almost anything to get better. Yeah, um, amazing. And so I, I do have that advantage in my, yeah. in my corner. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But from, a, from a, a getting healthy standpoint, if someone is struggling and they're already trying to sleep seven to eight hours a night, they've got their stress under control, right? They're not being exposed to huge amounts of environmental toxins and they're having an appropriate diet a lot of our, our clients are kind of at that place and still having symptoms. The gut is the next place to go. It's not the adrenal gland. It's not yeah. the thyroid. Yeah. Um, it's not micronutrients or looking for selenium deficiencies or yeah. iodine. Actually, I haven't seen iodine deficiency since I practiced in New Zealand, by the way. I guess maybe I should, <laughs> yeah. I should stop saying that. Because um, you guys yeah. don't have any iodine in your soil. Nah, none. <laughs> right? Nada. Um, nada. No, none of that. Um, the gut is the most important system clinically to fix. Yeah, yeah. And it's for a couple of reasons. And you can just, you can just throw something at me or yell at me if, if you want me to stop getting off my soapbox. But the, the gut is the single biggest entranceway to the out, outside world, but has to mm-hmm. have a huge surface area to absorb nutrients. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's a lot of opportunity for things to get broken. Yeah. Right? The immune system covers the gut because it's an entrance way to the body. So mm. literally you can think of like a tube with just immune system covering it top to bottom. Yeah, and wow. then any breakdown in the gut immediately triggers your immune system to drive yes. into a defensive mode. And yeah, so yeah. this is why someone with gut symptoms can develop autoimmunity so easy. The immune yeah. system is being inappropriately triggered by a broken gut. Yeah. This is why people with gut problems will often get skin manifestations or joint mm-hmm. pain or brain fog. It's mm-hmm. because of the immune system is the mediator between the gut and the other organs. And so mm. because of how basic the, the gut is to the overall functioning, it gives clinics that are focused to, to work on the gut an advantage because we can simply make you swallow things and fix the gut. Yeah. Right? It, yeah, it's yeah. much harder to, to mess with the kidney. Yeah. Right? I can't really change how the kidney works or the the adrenal gland or the pituitary those are kind of like hidden but the gut is right there you just swallow something and then you can impact it so it's yeah it's it's a nice a nice system to work on first so um dr joe the the with that close tie with the immune system is are the issues that that you've seen in the gut in the sort of increased prevalence is that also then increasing the prevalence of autoimmune issues in your experience, is that what you're seeing? And actually, I just think if I look at 
like um, the data that is out there, it does appear that there's this, this growing sort of prevalence of a range of different autoimmune conditions, including, um, you know, type one diabetes, for example. Yes, yes, absolutely. So the number one most common autoimmune condition is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Yes. Autoimmune thyroid, right? Yeah. And the cases of reversal or dramatic improvement I've seen have all have the underlying condition of disordered gut. And we yeah. fix the candida overgrowth or the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. Right? And the the Hashimoto's goes into remission or calms down, or all of a sudden we need half of the dose of thyroid medicine. Yeah. So very, very, it's very obvious to me clinically that, that the gut health drives autoimmune conditions in a direct yeah. way. And so what is it about the, the gut-related issue that impacts so much on the thyroid? So I think that fixing the gut is the single best way to calm down the immune system, mm -hmm. is to kind of let it stand down because mm. it's getting less signals that things are problematic mm -hmm. because less proteins or molecules are, are being exposed to the, the nervous system and immune system when the gut lining is whole. Mm. Specifically for thyroid, we, when you heal the gut lining, the, the gut is able to absorb medications better. Mm -hmm. So it's very likely that simply by taking away some SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, mm. we can get people to absorb their medicine much better and, and not mm -hmm. need as high doses. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, that's super interesting. And in terms of the gut, um, how do we go about fixing it? Like there are so many different supplements that are out there, uh, different protocols that are out there. I've got doc, uh, Dr. Ruscio's book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You, yeah. which I absolutely love um, great? yeah it's such an easy sort of work through you know um but you know what supplements actually move the needle when it comes to the gut so we we live and die by our triple probiotic strategy and so yeah what what this means is that not all probiotics are created equal Mm -hmm. And the concept that I, I wish more people knew was that there are different classes of probiotics. And we think of three major classes. There's the, the lacto-bifido blend. So lactobacillus, bifidobacterium. If you, you flip the bottle at the, the store to the back, this is 90% this is of the supplements on the market. Mm -hmm. But there's two other classes. And, and we find that incorporating all three gives the best result. So the other two yeah. The second is a yeast called Saccharomyces, which has mm -hmm. different properties than the lactobifido. And the third are the soil-based uh, species. I know, I know Chris Kresser is fond of soil-based, and, and we, we love them. They, they work really well. And mm -hmm. just clinically, two different types works better than one, and three works better than two. It just, yeah. um, so we end up using a lot of triple probiotic therapy, as we call it, in our yeah. office. And we find that simply getting the right diet in place and comprehensive probiotics fixes yeah. a lot of a lot of patients and it, and it just is just as simple as that yeah um we see the, a lot of cases of SIBO just go away with what I just told you oh amazing because I've seen mm. real co really complicated regimes of microbial herbs and tighten things mm -hmm. in the morning and the evening and 
in addition to these other 15 things that you need to take to support the gut. Yet what you're sort of talking about is, is quite as is a very sort of pared down approach to, to what actually might work. Now, with regards to those, um, the triple probiotics, will we, does everyone tolerate them at this, like at once, like with your gut related, or might we see gut related issues due to the probiotics? 90% of patients tolerate them with no problem and it's the oh, treatment amazing. they need. Yeah. So they take them and they feel great. Yeah. And, and that's, that should be the key of, of any treatment. Yeah. Is it helping you unequivocally? Yeah. Is it very clear that this is benefiting you? Because if, if you're taking something and you're not sure if it's working, it, it's just not working. You, yeah. you should see when you, when you put an intervention in, you should see my bloating is better very clearly. Yeah. I'm having less frequent diarrhea, right? It should be yeah. kind of a black and white. 90% of the time, that's what we see. Yeah. Some people, uh, I would say about 5% of patients have a die-off reaction where they have too much bacteria or yeast in the small intestine. And probiotics can actually act as almost small antibiotics mm -hmm. or small antimicrobial herbs. Mm -hmm. And they can kill off some of those critters. And so for a few days, some people might feel like they have fl the flu. They might feel tired, achy. They may have some GI upset. But the key here is that after a few days, it will calm down and go away. Yeah. And then you'll feel better. Yeah. The remaining 5% are patients who have either mast cell activation problems, mm -hmm. histamine intolerance problems, mm -hmm. or very commonly limbic system dysfunction. Their immune mm -hmm. systems are so hyperactively defensive that they react to anything, mm. sometimes water, any supplements at all, that's, that's not normal and, and checked out as, as a, a normal <laughs> constituent, yeah. the immune system will, will freak out and, and cause all sorts of problems. So when someone does not tolerate probiotics, that's a red flag that, that you really need to look deeper okay. at why they may not be reacting to a, a very safe and helpful treatment. Yeah. And with regards to that final sort of case, how would you deal with something like that? There are two excellent programs that can help, and yeah. you can get these online. One is called DNRS, mm -hmm. and this program was uh, created by a gal named Annie Hopper, mm -hmm. who is absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is a program called the Gupta program, G-U-P-T-A. And um, I, I, I'm biased towards Gupta's program because I, I needed to do that myself to, to uh, really get, get rid of my reactivity to the treatments I needed to get rid of mold. Yeah. Uh, and both of those are widely available and fantastic. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. And I, um, and I know that there are three different classes of probiotics. And I often, when I look at a probiotic, uh, product they'll tell me that it's got a particular strain in it and this particular strain has been found to be helpful for this particular ailment um what do we know about sort of individual strains of probiotics and how they might work versus just the class of probiotics like does it make a difference the strain itself so Clinically, I don't find, I think it's a waste of time to go after individual strains. It makes things too difficult for patients. But the reason why that thinking exists is back to the randomized control trial. 
a researcher wants mm. to give lactobacillus ruteri so they know exactly what that strain does compared to another lactobacilli species. However, mm. clinically, we see time and time again, if you give a blend, it works better. And I think that's just because we're not smart enough to micromanage this. The gut is so much more complicated than anything we can come up with. And uh, we're, we're kidding ourselves if we think we're smart enough to micromanage it. So um, yeah. I admit that I'm dumb and powerless over the workings of the gut. And the only way around it is by bombarding them <laughs> with as many yeah, strains yeah. as possible. <laughs> No, I love it. And obviously, um, the Ruscio um, Clinic has a three uh, a three classes of probiotic. Is it available outside of the States? Yes, absolutely. Yes, it is. Oh, great. Are there any other brands out there? Like I've only ever seen, I've seen Garden of Life, I believe, as one other brand which might have all three strains together, but I just wouldn't know of any other brand, you know, actually. I, I don't have a good answer for that. Just That's that good. we, we use our, our, our brand because we see it work all the time in clinic. And so I'm just biased. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I haven't needed to go elsewhere because this works really well. Yeah. yeah. And that's perfect. We've, we've yeah, got a that's formula great. that's a packet now, um, as opposed to having three separate bottles of probiotics. We have the packet. So the powder is, yes. is just one powder is basically two capsules of each of the probiotics. And so this makes yeah. it really easy for patients, particularly when the patient you need to ask to take more supplements. Right. If you can say, okay, just open this up into water, swallow one. your pills, we're done. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's no. very convenient for a lot of our people. And yeah, kids. That sounds perfect. Kids too. Yeah. Kids don't like pills. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and with, with that, um, Joe, with the whole supplement thing, like obviously there's collagen, there's glutamine, there's curcumin, there's MSM. There are all these other things which are often included. And I've included myself for, for clients who have gut issues. So. So, but ultimately what you're sort of saying is in your experience, your wealth of experience, you and the entire sort of clinic, a decent probiotic and a dietary approach, which removes processed food and these other low hanging fruits should actually be enough for the majority of people to see some sort of benefit. That's the starting point. And, yeah. and the way we think about it is, is like a ladder, right? Yeah. So, so you're building a strong foundation and that's, that's diet that's probiotics but some people need more if you have inflammatory bowel disease you're not just getting that yeah right if you're if you're having bloody stools 10 times a day you better believe you're getting worked your way up the ladder so yeah glutamine aloe marshmallow root um slippery elm we use those quite a bit and extensively yeah uh in patients um we Love protein supplementation. So when the body's chronically ill, yeah. uh, protein stores dramatically go down because the body is taking all the resources and mm. building immune cells. It's not repairing the gut lining. Mm. And so protein supplementation is, is very important in a chronically ill patient, um, particularly if they're unable to, to, to digest or eat it. Yeah. Um, herbal treatments, immunoglobulins. Uh, we have lots of tools that the, the key is, is just starting with the basics and moving upward as needed, not shotgunning every treatment to the patient, because then you end up like the poor man who came into my clinic this week and he was on 39 different supplements. Wow. Not total capsules because it was about three each. Oh, He, he was almost swallowing a hundred pills a day. Right. And guess what? He was still ill. Oh. 
So sad, right? Yeah. So, so you have to start with the basics and then move up as needed. Yeah. And but yeah, glutamine is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and how long should we expect to see results once you start taking the um, – obviously we talked about the, there might be two or three days of getting used to the probiotic, but how long should we wait to know that this approach is working or that we need to delve a little bit deeper and, and go do a little bit more? I think a safe rule of thumb is is two weeks. Yeah. If you're doing something new mm. and you're doing it reliably and regularly and you're not seeing a clear change within two weeks, mm-hmm. it's very likely not the right tool. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions, but that that's kind of how I think about it. You should be seeing a response to whatever you're doing, lifestyle, diet, supplementation, medication, within two weeks. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, finally, can I just ask you a little bit about SIBO? Um, very briefly, Sure. how accurate are the tests to, to know whether or not you've got SIBO? Because a lot of people are coming and, and they've, you know, they've, they've done a breath analysis and they've got SIBO, but nothing seems to sort of work with regards to improving it. Breath tests are one of the, the functional medicine tests that are validated yeah. and accurate. Okay. We, we like breath tests. They're, they're often not needed if, if you simply just treat the patient the right way. Mm. You, you don't necessarily need a breath test to diagnose SIBO, mm-hmm. but breath tests are very accurate. Mm. The glucose breath tests are more accurate than the lactulose tests. Yeah. And the key here is you want to look don't go farther than 80 to 90 minutes mm. when, when interpreting the test because otherwise you're very likely looking at the large intestine and not the small intestine. Okay. Um, is that too much in the weeds? No, no, that's that great. Answer? No, that's good. And then with yeah. SIBO, like, is it um, the bloating at the top of the gut rather than it, because you mentioned the um, sort of small intestine rather than the lower, is that what we'd be looking for if we thought we had an issue with, with SIBO? The, the two symptoms that, that immediately scream SIBO to me yeah. is, is bloating yeah. 30 to 90 minutes after you eat. Mm. And it, it typically can be kind of upper, but not always. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's lower intestine, but just a, a, people will say, I look like I'm pregnant yeah. an hour after I eat. Okay. Right? They physically see gas in, yeah. in their belly. They have more gas and bloating and distension yeah. 30 to 90 minutes. That's the first one. And the second one is brain fog. Ah. Right. Those two things together are SIBO until proven otherwise in my brain. Yeah. And I'll give you a third. And the third would be intolerance to carbohydrates or sugars. Okay. So when someone is saying every single time I have dairy or bread or sugar, right, I, I get bloated and brain fog and I get diarrhea and then I feel sick for two days. Yeah. The, the, the intolerance to the sugars is, is SIBO. Because what, what is the test, right? The, the test is a glucose solution. Yeah. You drink sugar water and then the bacteria ferment that producing a gas which you measure yeah right and so if i guess you could just drink a glass of sugar water and if you feel like garbage that's another diy test (laughs) (laughs) oh i know that's great um dr joe you've been so generous with your time and information like lots of really good uh, practical information that people can sort of take, I think, from this because the gut seems so complex. But what I love about the work that you do as part of the Ruscio Clinic is you demystify it and you keep it simple and practical for people. And I think 
and that's certainly what I've got from Dr. Um, Ruscio's book. And obviously, as we've talked about it, that's that's the way that you guys do it in clinic. Um, and and you're very research based. You know, you guys appear like from the podcasts and the information you put out there. You're all over the research sort of side of things. So, is there anything? Uh, in the research currently that you're getting excited about in the gut-related yes. area? Yes, we are, we are currently studying our triple probiotic therapy in patients with SIBO. Mm. Um, we know it works clinically. We just see it all the time, but it, it's, it, it means more than us just saying that. Yeah, we yeah. we want to be able to show other people that there are simple solutions that help. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly because a lot of clinicians still have the idea that you can't give probiotics to SIBO patients, yes, that you're just adding to the bacterial load, which we find to just be kind of nonsensical because of the studies. But yeah. there it is. I, I think it's just a, a misconception that we're hoping to squash. Yeah, fantastic. So you're currently studying this to publish later on in the year. We're when in, you... Yeah, we're currently enrolling patients now. Yeah, amazing. Um, Joe, where can people find you? Because you did just the... say actually that you take oh, patients yeah. worldwide. Yeah, if you're in New Zealand, come talk to me about amazing country. Yeah. <laughs> I miss it. Um, at the Institute.com. It's R-U-S-C-I-O Institute. And uh, I think we're pretty easy to find. Yeah, no, that is awesome. And there is like a host of information for people as uh, uh, clients and patients and just generally interested individuals as well as practitioners as well, which um, I find super helpful. Um, Dr. Joe, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah the, we, we, we have a, a func- future of functional medicine review. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm really proud of this. And the, the amount of, of knowledge that we've just plugged into there over three years, um, I'm biased, but I think it's I think it rivals a lot of the formal functional medicine training and it's available for a fraction. Yeah. This is, we we see this somewhat as a service to trying to help bring people along in a a cost-effective practical um, approach to functional medicine. And patients, I mean, anybody can, can buy it and order it and learn from it. Yeah. Um, It's really good. Yeah. It's amazing actually. And I sort of see it as a, as a, it's almost a step towards that functional medicine training. And I, I'm not going to ask you whether in the future that's what the Institute is sort of like looking at, but, you know, the more people that are out there doing what you guys can do, just the better in general that um, we can actually help our patients, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, we want people to stop wasting money on unnecessary testing and just get better. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Spend it like on flights <laughs> yeah. to wherever you want to go, like New Zealand, right? <laughs> you got it. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for um, the time, your time today, Joe. We really appreciate it. And um, enjoy the rest of your afternoon in New Orleans. My pleasure. Thank you. Alrighty, hopefully you got lots of practical tips from that. And Joe is taking clients, as you would have heard, within this world of virtual telehealth in Zoom meetings, super easy to jump on to the Dr. Ruscio Clinic and book a consultation if that is what you are after. Next week on the podcast, we bring it back home and I have the pleasure of chatting to Darren Ellis, who has his master's in exercise physiology. He 
owned the first CrossFit gym in New Zealand and we talk all about men's health for over 40 and what you need to consider if that is you or if you know a man over 40, this is for them. Until next week though, have a great week and we'll chat soon. See you later.